Hi, I'm Steve Barlow. This is the Humanized Workforce Future You podcast, where we talk about perceptions of the future, issues we need to be aware of, and their role in a rapidly changing work and life environment. Hi, I'm Craig Saffin. Day by day, we are all learning to live with the impact technology, AI, and changing health and social conditions have on our lives. The Humanized Workforce Future You podcast series thinks the future is bright and something to look forward to. Thanks for joining us again at the Humanized Workforce Future You podcast. Today, we've got as our special guest, Mark Perbrick. He's joining us from Sydney. So welcome, Mark. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, yourself? Yeah, thanks, Steve and uh, and Craig. Thanks for inviting me on your podcast today. Um, about myself, so uh, I, probably the, the the story goes back about twenty years, which is uh, probably most relevant to where I am now. So, twenty years ago, really, I was I was a professional CEO, professional uh, senior executive, uh, principally in the wine industry, uh, as it turns out. And by trade, uh, I'm I'm a winemaker by trade, uh, going back, but never have never made wine. Um, but I've worked in every every facet of that. So in direct marketing and logistics, uh, in marketing and sales. Uh, so really covering the whole gambit of all of that. So it was back around about 20 years ago when I was working for the Foster's uh, Wine Club division, where I really, it was probably the pivotal moment where I understood how important people are in your business. And it was when I started using 360 degree appraisals for myself and my management team to to look at leadership and improve leadership capability, and also using psychometric assessments um, to, to essentially to select the best people for the role. What happened during that was when I was using the psychometric assessments that I was using was, you know, some of them I found to be totally inadequate, um, and they tended to be more the the four quadrant, um, more simple psychometric assessments. And and I don't think they should be used for selection. They're great for development, but not for selection. Um, And then I was using some other tools that were highly valid and and, and gave very consistent feedback on the people. The the itchy feeling I had on the back of the neck though was that's all well and good to tell me what the person's gonna be like, but but are they gonna be great in the job I wanna put them into? and to tell you the truth, what I was talking about was whether they had fit to the role. I didn't know that's what I was talking about, but but that's really what I was asking. And the, and the psychologist who was supplying the assessments at that time, she couldn't answer that question. I left that organisation and then became the CEO of the Wine Society. And, and the Wine Society then was, was losing about half a million dollars a year. And, and within 18 months, we turned it around to, to making about 1.8 million. And a big part of that, not all of it, but a big part of that was to get the people right. And, and I remember it was on one of my first days in the, in the CEO chair and I called all the senior managers in and I said, this is how it's going to work. I'm going to be spending 40% of my time on the people. I'm going to be spending about 30% of my time on strategy going forward and 30% of my time with our customers, with our members and understanding them. You guys are running the business. And, and what that then, what happened then, Steve, was I was then introduced to these job fit assessments, which I still use because they're amazingly accurate assessments. And, and we were able to create high performance benchmarks for every 
every role within the organisation. And that allowed us to understand why people weren't performing in some roles because they're actually put in the wrong role, and especially in the contact centre. So they were put into outbound contact centre when really they should have been in inbound because that's what they were most suited to and their critical success attributes were aligned to that. So out of the 70, I think there were 73 employees there. Out of the 73, I only had to let go two. One was a senior manager and one was an employee. They had all the talent there. They just weren't using it. And like I said, within 18 months, we'd gone from half a million dollar loss a year to $1.8 million surplus. So the, the power of them was, was, was unbelievable, really. Um, and then through a quirk of fate, um, the organisation, the assessment organisation, then approached me whether I wanted to, to essentially take on the rights for, for the region here and... Um, and that's what I did. So that's how People Logica was born. And um, we started off as a psychometric assessment provider and consultant. Um, and we now offer pre-employment skills and knowledge testing, video interviewing. Uh, we have two psychometric assessment platforms and they both measure fit. Uh, and we also have a survey platform that, that uh, provides customised um, leadership surveys, employee surveys, board evaluation surveys, you know, you name it, um, it can survey it. So, and, uh, and very customizable. So, so that's probably about me. Wow. That's uh that's fascinating, Mark. Um, very, very interesting. Uh, one thing that stuck, struck, stuck out to me, what you said is that spending uh, 40% of your time as a CEO on the people, um, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, small business owners that I uh, work with, they're, quite astounded at the people issues and how much time they have to spend on people. Um, but uh, I think uh, the great thing of what you just said is that uh, spending time on the people, you were able to make the company profitable, right? So what do you think is the main change when you can spend time on people and, and actually uh, take the people more seriously instead of having them as a slogan? Uh, what, what do you think is the um, thing that actually allows you to make a profit when you do that? Craig, I... I have a really simple philosophy and, and, and it's based on that if you have an organisation that has factories and offices and everything else there and, and all the factories build, burn down and you lose all the offices but you've got all the people, you can rebuild that organisation. <laughs> but if you lose all the people and the factories are all still there and they've got all their gleaming equipment in there and the offices are there but you lose all the people, you'll never rebuild that organisation. Yeah. And I think there's a real... There's a real fundamental issue in, in SMEs and larger business, to tell you the truth, where, and I think it stems from people capital is not, is not measured. The value of people capital is not measured. It's not on the balance sheet and it's not on the p Right. The ludicrous part of, of the whole system is that if we take out the most expensive piece of furniture within an organisation, let's say it's a boardroom table, yeah. and we take that out of the organisation, the actual capital value of that organisation drops because it's on the asset register. <laughs> That's right. And yet if you lose your best salesperson or your best employee, there's no drop at all. And, yeah. and people don't understand the importance of people because it's actually not measured. And, hmm. and I think... You know, I see it all the time, Craig, and is where I've talked to people, I've, you know, talking at, at conferences or whatever it may be, and all of these business owners are all go-hung when you're talking to them. They go, yes, I get it. We've got to do something more about our people and we've got to improve the way we select them. We've got to compress the, the recruitment timeframe at the moment because of the war for talent, which is really, really important. And 
And yet, as soon as they walk out of that door, it's like they've turned that switch off and they totally forget about it again and they go back to doing exactly what they were doing before. So it's a bit like Einstein's theory of what is it, stupidity or whatever it is, where you keep yeah, on yeah. doing the same thing over <laughs> and over again and right. get the same result. Right. Yeah, the, um, it's, it's interesting that the next piece is about this, uh, of course, this great resignation thing that's been in the press for a long time and the war, war I think you use the term war on talent and, and all that sort of stuff, the shortage of skills and stuff. But to be honest, when I was a CEO, I, I'm always encouraging my people, oh, I've been approached by this person, headhunted, oh, I'll go for the interview, I would say, go out there and see if you're in the best place for your career and if this is the best match for you. I, th- I think it's great when your people get approached and um, go for interviews. I, I always encourage them because what it, what it, what is the um, thing behind this great resignation? For me, I think it's just people have a bit more courage because of the pandemic and they're, they're making decisions they were putting off. I don't think it's anything uh, astounding at all. Uh, well, I think there's a couple of things, Craig, and I think during the pandemic, employees actually found out they had more power than they thought they had. <laughs> and, right. and so they learned that. But where, where it's actually turned into an issue is because employers and senior management, this is what I see as a generalisation, mm. is they, they use it as an excuse. They use it as an excuse for why people are leaving them. You know, the great resignation, it's not as though everybody's resigning from work and going up in the hills and living in Nimbin right. and, 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 and not doing anything. What they're doing is they're just moving jobs. So yeah, they're, looking, they're looking for something different, aren't they? And 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 to a large degree, I think it is a real cop out. And and I I think there's a lot of senior management teams that that need to have a really good look at themselves. Yeah, yeah I agree. Because the reason employees are leaving is because they're leaving managers. It's the yeah. old saying: people don't yeah. leave companies; they leave managers. And and leadership capability and the development of leadership capability has never been more important than what it is now. And and the problem is for a lot of organisations, their definition of leadership development is only at the executive level. And yet the vast majority of employees report to mid-level managers and to supervisors, and yet they get no development at all, which I, I I just have never understood, haven't understood it for decades. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, the uh, there's no not enough mere culpa in there, is there? So uh, so um, what, let, let's talk about a shaping people and the organisation that we're trying to put together as a leaders. And um, let's start with uh, one of the things I've discussed with you in the past is about how to even shape your job ads and when you are going out into a, a market which is uh, quite tough on getting the right skills for your organisation because there's still a lot of businesses are not operating at their optimum at the moment because they can't get enough people. Um, but how do you how do you advise uh, people to structure the advertisement or structure the position their business so that they can attack, attract the right talent? Yeah, so the, the process that we've developed is really based on a couple of things. One is that top quality candidates have lots of op- options. Mm-hmm. So a prolonged recruitment and selection process probably means you're just going to lose the top candidates. You're not going to lose the other candidates. And mm-hmm. And so there's that part. So, you know, and then the realisation that, you know, why in some organisations are they having five interviews? I've never understood that. And and my belief is the most number of interviews, even for CEOs, to tell you the truth, is two interviews. That's the most you should need. And you can, for many roles, condense it down into one. 
Mm. And what it comes down to is, is having the relevant information to be able to make highly valid and, and, and predictable and repeatable decisions on talent and putting them in the right role. So to answer your question, what we do is the first thing we do is I don't believe you can go out there and even think about who you're going to attract to a job until you absolutely understand what the critical success attributes are of the role. So we develop high-performance role benchmarks to start off with, and that identifies and quantifies exactly what the attributes are. And it's not not as much about the skills and knowledge and qualifications and, and the learnable stuff. It's about the hard wiring of the individual. It's about the actual person. So it's about their behaviours. It's about their passions. It's about their cognitive abilities. We then take that information of what a high performer requires and we actually put that into the job advertisement. So the traditional job advertisement is a paragraph about the company and how good they are and then essentially the position description rammed into the ad of what you're going to do for the company. That's right. And then the final part is how you can apply on the company's terms. So it's all <laughs> about the company. And yet what, especially our millennials and Gen Z, yeah. is what they want is what's in it for me. Yeah, right. They want the answer to what's in it for me. And, and it's more than just the salary. We know salary is always the second, third or fourth most important thing for people. It's generally not, not the first. So... With our targeted job advertisements, we still have the bit about the company at the start, but then the middle of the ad, we don't use a position description because if you're applying for, if you're applying for accounts payable position, I think you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to do in accounts payable. I don't think you need to be told in a job ad what you're going to be doing as you know from Monday to Friday. <laughs> okay, so, so what we put in there, are what are the attributes we want. So if you enjoy doing this, if you love doing this, if you don't like doing this, to the point where we will have in there for roles that require people to be highly innovative and think outside the square, which means they have very low manageability, they enjoy risk, is we will put in there is you don't like being micromanaged and you don't like people looking over your shoulder. Mm. And and when people read that where it's quite personal to them, that, that, That's me. That's me. I mean... Well, and, and, and more importantly is for most organisations, they would never admit that in an interview right. because, because most organisations see them as being too difficult to manage. And yet right. if that's what you need to perform at a high level in the role, then that's the attribute you need. So that's what we do with the job adverts. They generally deliver a three to six times increase in the number of quality candidates that apply, oh, that's job, which is substantial. Just by putting a bit more thought in the uh, in the on ramp to the whole process. So, if you move along the continuum a little bit, is this giving leaders a chance to shape the type of teams and people that they want for a certain cultural fit and uh, and a business outcome? Yeah. So, the high performance benchmarks we we're talking about they not only take into account the the critical success attributes you need to be a functional expert in the role that you're doing. But also those, those role benchmarks take into account the culture of the organisation. So, for example, probably one of the best examples is, you know, most people who are listening to this podcast, they would have had it themselves or know someone that has where they've poached a, a top performer from a competitor company in whatever role it is, brought them into their own company, and they haven't quite met the expectations that they thought they would. And the reality is the job is actually no different. But the environment is different. You know, the, the culture of the organisation, the management style is very sure. different. So 
the, the attributes required to thrive in one culture versus another can be quite different, even mm. though functionally the job is still the same. Mm. And, and that's why it's so important to have that capability of being able to develop benchmarks for any and every role for your organisation, not right. some global it's, it's average. Unique. It's, not a, it's not an off-the-shelf thing. It's, a, it's unique. Mm. One, one thing I want to ask you then is, as an individual uh, employee or someone joining an organisation or someone within an organisation, you, you mentioned in one of your leading comments about um, how retaining people in an organisation, just moving them into the right role and things like that. What, what can individuals do to, to accommodate all of this analysis? Because it's sort of like a lot of what you've described is uh, an, analysing an organisation, uh, tr- trying to position for... Uh, hiring the right people and having the people in the what can individuals do um, to to accommodate this sort of uh, I suppose deep analysis of them and how they fit into an organization yeah so I'll, I'll talk about it more personally Craig okay thanks yeah that, you know with with the the assessments we use is mm. we we then understand exactly what the hard wiring is of the individual and mm. And then, you know, when we're going through the interview process, it gives interview questions and all of that. But it also gives coaching, mentoring and training suggestions as well of oh, how, to right. actively, how to actively manage that person so that you can help them achieve the highest success they can in that role. And that's what it's all about. We want to set oh, people up for success, not set yeah, them up sure. for love. So a really good example is one of our guys and, and one of my key employees, when I employed him, he has a far higher energy level than I do, and he has a far higher sociability than, than I do. And, and I knew from his profile that for me to get the best out of him was that when he needed to talk to me, he needed to talk to me straight away. Uh, now, okay. I'm the type of person when I'm working on something at my computer is <laughs> I don't like being interrupted. That's my hardwiring. That's the yeah, way yeah. I like to do. Yeah. But I knew to get the to help him to achieve the highest success for him is I had to make myself available for him. So I said to him as part of the onboarding process is, and our desks are only you know, a couple of metres apart, is if you need me, just, just turn around and ask. Now, he does that all the time. And I can tell you every time he does it, internally I go, oh, God, <laughs> just in the middle of this sentence. But... I put a smile on my face and turn yeah, to him. Sure. He knows this. He'll, he'll be listening to this. Yeah. And, but it's really important. So, yeah. so as, as there's a difference between a manager and a leader, you know, yeah, sure. and, and I think the, the, the best definition I've ever heard is when I meet a great manager, I know how important they are. When I meet a great leader, I know how important I am. And, and my view is that when it comes to leadership, not management, is it's about the other person. It's not about yourself. And that's, it's one of the hardest things for managers, you know, who, are, who want to be leaders and want to be really strong leaders, is it's not about them anymore. It's about what, what they achieve with the people who report to them. And that's the most important thing. Your, your success is based on their success, not the other way around. Mm. So. Okay, that's, that's uh, fascinating. So, so I suppose for what's in it for the... Uh, the individual and the shaping of the future year is to listen to the advice and to try and uh, take the opportunities for uh, professional development and personal growth, right? So, um, 
One thing I want to ask you just before we finish up here is um, just a little bit of a bugbear for me because I you've been involved in psychometrics and analysis, uh, human analytics for a long time in various guises and various job functions. And uh, one thing that I've always been concerned about is um, is uh, cultural and uh, gender bias in the in these things. And uh, for a while there, it seemed that every every person and his dog was a uh, developing their own psychometric. Um, uh, you, you've uh, had a hell of a lot of experience in this, this space. And I wondered what what do you, um, what areas you were concerned about, if any, about uh, gender or cultural bias within these uh, analytics? I, I, I think it's a massive problem, um, or a massive challenge is probably better for mm. putting it all problem. So it, it actually, a lot of it stems from unconscious bias yes. and, and it's the unconscious bias at the screening stage of candidates mm. and everybody everybody has it mm. it doesn't matter how how long you've been recruiting people for or selecting mm. people for it doesn't matter how long you've been a, a senior leader everybody has unconscious bias sure. yeah, you can't avoid it it's a human thing isn't it yep so there's a couple of things that we've done which i'm really proud of so in one of our assessment platforms we have the ability for people to choose whether they're male, female, or MX, you know, um, uh, undefined, um, which I, I don't think any other assessment platform provides that ability, which, and all the reports that come out of the back end are non-gender-based reports as well, which I think is really, really important in today. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Where we're going forward. The other thing that we have, which I think is quite unique, is we have the ability to provide clients with unlimited subscriptions for psychometric assessments, highly uh, um, valid psychometric assessments that they can use for every applicant. So, because normally psychometric assessments aren't used until the shortlist of candidates. Yeah, sure. By then, all of the conscious and unconscious bias has already taken place. So mm -hmm. if somebody, and, and it's not just about gender as well, it's where people live, it's the length of their surname, it's, it's yeah, there's yeah. a whole lot of, of conscious and unconscious bias that goes on. So by assessing applicants right at the start, what we're then doing is we're screening them on fit. Mm. And so therefore it, it matters far less that they're not very good at resume writing. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of job applicants out there that aren't very good at writing a resume sure. and they can't afford to pay a resume writer to write their resume, which becomes a fictitious piece in itself. Keeping in yeah. mind <laughs> over 60% of all resumes carry blatant, untruths in sure. so, um, but by screening candidates based on fit mm. it then means that and because our assessments are, are totally unbiased they don't care right. what gender you are they don't care what religion they don't care where you live right. they don't care where you've come from they don't care um, right. and and so that then means that anybody that has more than a, a percentage fit for the role is you have to look at them seriously sure, okay because if they have the learnable skills, knowledge, experience, required qualifications, whatever it may be, is you already know that they will be at least very good. Okay, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thanks. That's a that's a big change from the from the, the dark past, isn't it? So. Yeah, it is. The world's the world's come a long way in 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 HR analytics, and and I think one of the challenges for HR departments is for them to understand that they need to start trialing um, uh, some of this new science and new mm. new processes mm. uh, instead of just sticking with what they've always known. And, and it is a real challenge for HR departments to 
to do pilots and challenge things because unfortunately it comes from the CEOs and, and MDs where HR departments get wrapped over the head when they make a mistake. And the problem is you can't have innovation unless you make mistakes. So to a large degree, CEOs and leaders of organisations need to encourage their HR department to be more innovative and creative and think outside the square and, and, and accept that not everything's going to work. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you. Okay, so I might just uh, sum up uh, some of the things, the main points of what you've talked about for our listeners, uh, Mark. Um, you've given a lot of uh, details and a lot of uh, examples, so I, I'm not going to go into any of those. But um, uh, the main thing that I heard you talk about was fitness for role, and um, uh, that seems to be the target of what you're you're on about. And fitness for role relates to the attributes that people bring and what they actually want to achieve in their life what they can bring to the company that is what the company needs. And alongside this fitness for role is the whole, from seen from the other side, from the company perspective, is um, the bias that can creep into that. And uh, it can be, as you said, unconscious based on artefacts like people's, the quality of their resume or the length of their last name. And uh, so the, the goal is to, rather than focus on those things, to focus on the fitness part of it. How good a fit is this person? What do they bring? That is what we are looking for. So the whole idea of fitness and bias. And then you talked about um, technology and you use technology quite a bit um, to, to identify the alignment areas to identify where the fitness is actually occurring or not occurring. And uh, this can be the use of psychometric tests or surveys or interviews, and even things like job ads, where you craft the, the ad as a piece of technology to get the result that you're looking for. Uh, and uh, then you also talked about... Um, uh, the time spent on people and the relationship between the development and the interest and the focus on people and the profitable outcomes of the company. And you gave a wonderful example from your own experience of the turnaround in that. So people are at the heart of the business and, uh, and yet it's oftentimes not measured, uh, but it's the most important thing in, at the end of the day. And then you also talked about um, the development of leadership and uh, how this is uh, one of the most important aspects. And oftentimes you pointed out that it's done at the senior executive level, but not at the middle management level, which is really where the rubber meets the road. It's the interaction between the rest of the workforce and, and uh, th their experience of leadership. And so the importance of, um, of uh, developing uh, leaders and their ability and making sure that they're aligned in what they're bringing uh, to the company as well. So um, I think that uh, sums it up. But, um, yeah, it's been very interesting and I appreciate your contribution and all the uh, wonderful examples you've given. Thanks, Steve. A lot of experience there, uh, Mark, and thank you very much for sharing it with us. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Humanized Workforce Future You. Please leave a rating or review for the series on the medium where you source your podcasts. 
The transcripts for today's podcast can be found on craigsaffin.com. That's C-R-A-I-G-S-A-P-H-I-N.com. Please subscribe to the series so you don't miss out on the interviews or the future podcasts. Thank you.